God is faithful, and he is the faithful promiser. And when he says something, you can count on it. You can bank on it, for he's true to his word. What we're going to be talking about today is this. Here's the title of the sermon. God powerfully answers prayer. God powerfully answers prayer. And talking about prayer, let's do that together. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, I would ask that you would forgive me and cleanse me of any sin that would hinder the preaching of your word. Lord Jesus, that you'd be the preacher and that you would preach your word to your people and we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of it. That you wouldn't just stir us, but that you would change us. Change us, for we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Throughout the pages of scripture, we see God powerfully answering the prayers of his people. Moses prayed and God spared Israel from judgment. Joshua prayed and God caused the sun to stand still. Hannah prayed and God gave her a baby boy. Elijah prayed and God sent fire down from heaven. Jonah prayed and God brought him out of the belly of the whale. And the thief on the cross prayed and God gave to him eternal life. Every individual that I just referred to who prayed had two things in common. One, they prayed because they had a problem And two, when they prayed, God powerfully, miraculously answered their prayers. You know, after studying the word of God for 30 years, I've learned a few things. And one of those things is this, that every miracle in the Bible always begins with a problem. Think about that. Every miracle, doesn't matter if you're in the Old Testament or the New Testament, every miracle begins with a problem. So what's that mean? That means the only people who cannot experience a miracle are people who don't have problems. So I thought today that I would pray that all of us would get problems so that all of us could experience a miracle. How about that? Want me to do that for you? Let's all stand. Let me pray for you. I No, no, I'm just kidding. I love it. You know what I say? Hear me. You know I don't have to pray that prayer for you because a number of you already have problems. And if you don't have a problem today, you will. It's inevitable. But here's the great truth. Here's the great truth. When you're facing that problem and you pray, you become a candidate for a miracle. When you're having that problem, if you'll pray and you'll trust God and be obedient to him, you're a candidate for, that, for a miracle. My son Jonathan, 16 years old, on October 5th of 2012, came down with a fever and started throwing up and never stopped. My wife and I took him to Allegheny General. We took, took him to Passivin. Then we ended up at uh, Children's Hospital. We first went to Passivin, then went to Allegheny General. Then we went to Children's Hospital. And they couldn't figure out the problem. He had thrown up at that time probably 500 times. By the end of it, it was all over a thousand, over a thousand times. Just continued to throw up. They couldn't figure it out. We began to pray that God would reveal and heal. What's amazing is that God began to reveal to the Glovers what the problem was. And we noticed that he could eat solid food and keep it down, but the moment he drank anything, a sip of water, he would begin to throw up. We began to share this with the doctors and they agreed. That he could eat anything solid he could not drink, but they'd never seen that in all of their lives. And I'm talking about some of the best of the best doctors in the city of Pittsburgh. 
Finally, they brought us in the room and they looked at Tammy and, and I and, and, jo- and Jonathan and said, we don't know how to solve this problem. We don't have any answers. But what we can do is we can send you down to Cincinnati. We have a children's hospital. There they do research. We want you to go there. And if they can't figure out, then we want you to go to the Cleveland Clinic. And Tammy and I decided if they, those two hospitals couldn't figure it out, we were going to go to Minnesota, to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. We walked out of that room that day, got in our car, went home. But our adopted daughter, Amy, continued relentlessly going to my wife, Tammy, and saying, please bring Jonathan to our Saturday morning service at our church. They pray for healing. Please bring him. So Tammy loaded them in the car, drove them on Saturday morning. They went into the service, and the pastor's wife came over and prayed for my son. They left the service, and they went to a fast food restaurant. And Jonathan checked out the where the lavatory was, the bathroom, because he had to stay close to the bathroom when he, when he would eat. So he found a location, sat down, and Jonathan began to eat a couple of cheeseburgers and french fries, and then he looked at that glass of water, and he lifted it up, and he didn't just sip it, he drank the whole thing. Now you have to understand, 57 days, he hasn't drunk a drop of water. We've been in and out of the hospital 12 times. They had put IVs in him to keep him alive. They finally put a feeding tube that bypassed his stomach into his intestines, and we gave him water every night to keep him alive. He takes this water, and he throws it down, and, we, and they watch, and nothing happens. He goes on, and he drinks a gallon of water that day. He ends up pulling out his feeding tube, and my son has been healed, and he's like brand new. To God be the glory. In the honor. You can't experience a miracle until you got a problem. But when you got one, if you pray, you become a candidate for a miracle. And my son is a miracle. You know, one of the things I remember walking into those, those doctor's offices, we were sitting there with a number of them, and I said, listen, when you finally figure this out, you're going to name this disease the Jonathan Glover disease, right? They said, absolutely. You know what? I don't know. We never, that, we never were able to figure out the disease. So Jonathan, I'm sorry, man, there's no disease named after you. But in the kingdom, there's a miracle named after him that God delivered our son. And let me say this. Many of you prayed. And I've asked my son today to come and tell you a few things to you. Would you put your hands together for my son, Jonathan? By the way, he looks pretty sharp, doesn't he? I like that. Uh, Well... Good thing is, my dad, he did, I mean, he aced it, that's the story. Uh, it was pretty good. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to thank everybody that prayed for me. Um, it's, it's pretty great. And uh, people that, you know, came and helped out the family, I really appreciate that. But I want to give a special thanks to the pastoral staff for uh, visiting me in the hospital and praying for me. That was, you know, it's, it's really great. And, uh, you know, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. God bless. God bless. You know, we want to thank you for all the meals that were sent to us. And on behalf of Jonathan and the Glovers, we think that you are marvelous. (laughs) You are a spectacular group of people. You are the body of Christ. Hear those words. You are the body of Christ. And we're very, very thankful for you. For those of you who prayed, those of you that served you will see that miracle again. When you stand before him, you will. You will see that again. 
and you will be rewarded. God bless you and thank you. In the scriptures that we're studying today in the book of Acts, the book of Acts is the story of the beginning of the church. In our passage, in Acts chapter 12, it's the, it's the church in crisis. And what is their crisis? What is their problem? They're being persecuted. And their leadership is being systematically executed by a madman named King Herod. But this is King Herod Agrippa, the grandson of King Herod who was alive during the times that Jesus was born. And this grandson is crazier than his grandfather. He's tormenting the Christian community. And we pick up the story in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Look what he's doing. It was about this time that the king, Herod, arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. This is the crisis. Stephen, which was one of their great men of faith, had already been stoned. James now is the third in command and leadership of the church, and now Herod has him killed. But then Herod has the number one leader arrested and put in jail. He had every intention of not just having him arrested. By morning, he was going to make sure that this man, Peter, was executed as well. So much so that he had 16 soldiers watching over Peter. Two of them were chained to his body. Peter had no way to escape, and the church had no way to rescue him. He had no way out. And the church, this young, thriving little group of people at that time, were without a shadow of a doubt, they were discouraged. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been discouraged because of your circumstances? Have you ever been in a situation where you can't see a way out? You don't see there's a way that you can be rescued. It's like you're standing in quicksand and day by day, inch by inch, you don't see any way out. If you've been there, then you can relate to the Christian church at this time. You can relate to Peter. So what did they do? In this circumstance, what did they do? They called a prayer meeting. Prayer meeting. In, in, in Acts chapter 12, verse 5, it says this. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. What does it mean to pray earnestly? The term used here in the Greek is a picture word. It's, draw, it's drawing a picture, if you will, of a muscle that's being stretched to its limit. Now, anybody that's worked out, I've worked out, lifted weights to the point where I can't lift the weights any longer because my muscles have been stretched to the limit. They're fatigued, and there's no way I can lift an ounce They're describing a muscle that's been stretched to its limit. That's the way they're praying. This term is used another time to describe somebody who's praying. It's found in Luke chapter 22, verse 44, and it's Jesus Christ. And Jesus is praying as he faces the cross, and this is what it says. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, Jesus or these disciples that night weren't playing with prayer. They were earnestly, intensely praying. As the football players say often, we left it all on the field. They were leaving it all there on their knees. Let me ask you this question. When's the last time you prayed like that? 
When's the last time you left it all on your knees? No holding without limit. Well, when they prayed like that, what did God do? He powerfully, he powerfully answered their prayers. Look what it says here in Acts chapter 12, verse 6 and 7. It says this. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. And sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel, the Lord, appeared, and a light shone into the cell. He struck Peter on the side and said, Wake up! Quick, get up! He said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. You know, I love that word right there. But suddenly... Isn't that the way that God shows up so often? The old saying that says, God is seldom early, never late, but he's always on time. It's the midnight hour. Peter, the next morning, is going to be executed by Herod. He has no way of escape. The church has no way to rescue him. And in that moment where there seemed to be no way, God stepped in and made a way suddenly in that moment. When Peter needed him, he showed up and everything changed. Everything. The chains fall off and Peter is set free. Isn't that how God so often works? You know, my, my wife loves to tell a story when she was 9 or 10 years old. She struggled with fear. I mean, unbelievably was gripped by fear in her life. Could you imagine she married me? And I took her down into one of the hardest places in Pittsburgh years ago. But at one time, she was a woman of tremendous fear. And she would pray, and she would pray. And finally, one day, a missionary came and talked about the fact that we might have to be persecuted for our faith someday. And she started becoming afraid that she wouldn't be able to stand up for Jesus. She thought that maybe she wouldn't have the strength or the courage to do it. That she would walk away from Christ. So she began to talk to her father, who had been in the ministry for 40 years. and, And he said to her, Or she said to him, Dad, I'm afraid that I won't be able to stand up against persecution. I won't have the courage. How will I know that I'll be able to stand up? And her father, with great wisdom, looked at her and said, Honey, let me say this to you. When do I give you the ticket to get onto the bus to go to school? Do I give you the ticket before it shows up? She said, No. Do I give you the ticket when the bus leaves? No. When do I give you the ticket? Right when that bus shows up, just before I'm going get to on, get on the bus, you give me the ticket. She, he looked at her and said, honey, listen to me. If you pray to God and you're obedient to him, you pray, you won't have the courage before and you won't have the courage after. But you'll have the courage right then, right when you need it, right on time, because God is never late, seldom early, but he's what? He's always on time. And that's the truth. You don't get it before and you don't get it afterwards. You get it right on time. In that midnight hour, that's when God shows up. And he does miraculous things. You know, when you look at that scripture, I want want you to show you this in verse 7. It says, Peter, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. I believe there's one of you in this room. You've been praying. You've been asking God to do something for you. And I want you to know that I believe that God has answered that prayer. But what you need to do is you need to get up and look up for your answer has come. Two things I want you to see in this passage in verses 7 and 8. It says this. Peter, quick, get up. And the chains fell off. That's something that God did for Peter. Peter couldn't do that. But that's only what God could do in that situation. And he did it. But in verse 8 it says this. And the angel said, 
In verse 8, get dressed to Peter and put on your sandals and your coat. And it goes on and says, now you follow me. And it says, Peter followed him. Now that's something that Peter could do. In other words, God wasn't going to do what Peter, what he was asking Peter to do, but he was willing to do what Peter couldn't do. Hear me. I believe a lot of times in the Christian church, we, lose, we use prayer as a substitute for our responsibility. Hear me. A lot of times we're using prayer as a substitute for our responsibility. There's people out there praying all the time. Oh, God, help me to lose weight. Yeah, you're shaking your heads. I see you. We're out there praying. But meanwhile, they refuse to exercise and they eat everything in sight. Guess what? That prayer doesn't work. There's people out there praying, God, give me a job, give me a job. But they refuse to go look for a job. Guess what? That prayer doesn't work. There's people out there praying, oh, God, help me to pass this test, but they refuse to study. Guess what? That that prayer doesn't work. There's people out there, oh, God, deliver me from this temptation. Help me in this situation. But they refuse to do what God is asking them to do, and guess what? That prayer won't work. My father-in-law used to always say, you pray like it's all up to God, but you work like it's all up to you. We have a responsibility in that prayer. We need to do what God is asking us to do or it doesn't work. Peter could have stayed in that cell. He could have decided not to follow him because of fear and what was going to happen to him. And he would have died the next morning. But because he prayed and the people of God were praying and he was willing to do what God was asking him to do, he was delivered. Remember this, my friends. God will do what you can't do, but he won't do what he's asking you to do. You have a responsibility in that time of prayer. God says, I believe in his word. You work like it's, you pray like it's all up to him. And you got to work like it's all up to you. You got to do your part. So many men and women over the years have come to me and counseled with me, all in a huff with God. And when I get down to the bottom of it all, they don't want to do what God wants them to do. It's like they're treating God like a genie or like a vending machine. They kind of rub in the right way. You don't do what I want to do. They get in a huff with God. Or they put the money in, pull out the thing, and if he doesn't do it, then God in prayer doesn't work. That's not how that works, my friend. you got to be obedient to what God is asking you to do in those situations as well. And when you put those two combinations together and you're praying for something, we'll talk about how he answers at the end. But let's keep moving on. How does he move? What happens after Peter does what he's supposed to and God does what only he can do? In verse 10 it says this. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. Could you imagine? Two sets of guards guarding what? The the gate that opens up to the city. That's the way that you have main entrance into into that city. So they're highly guarded area. And it's an iron gate. It's bolted shut. And when they get there, no one sees them. And then the the gate just automatically opens up and they walk straight through it. And Peter's rescued. Hear me. Hear me. When you pray and you're being obedient to God, God will open doors for you that no man can close. And he'll close doors that no man can open up. There's no other way to explain how... Peter escaped except for the power of God. It was the power of God that sent the angel. It was the power of God that set those those chains, loosened those chains and set him free. It was the power of God that opened up that iron gate. And it was the power of God when man had no answer for my son. 
God opened a door where there seemed to be no way. And he didn't allow it to be closed or open. He opened it and he closes it. And my son today as well, because God stepped in where man had no answer. And God not only does that for you and for me, he'll do that for the people that you love and you care for. I am telling you, God will open doors that no man can close and he'll close doors that no man can open up. And what is yours is yours. What God has promised is promised to you and not man, nor hell, nor demons, nor Satan himself can stop that from happening. God is a sovereign God who is a faithful promiser and when he promises and he makes a statement, he wants to move, nothing can stop him. We still serve a God who is all-powerful, who does miracles today in this land. And when we look at our country, when we see what's going on around us, we're not afraid because we know that we serve the God and he opens doors, he closes doors for us because we are his people and he's going to make a way for us where there seems to be no way. He's going to do that for you. But unless we pray and get on our knees and ask God earnestly, and do our part to do whatever he's asking us to do. We can't ever look at God and say, God, it's your fault. He's asking us to pray, my friends. You keep praying. Don't give up. God is not done. He is still the miraculous, powerful God he's ever said he's ever been and ever will be. And he loves you and he loves your kids. He loves your children. He loves your grandchildren. And he is with us. But i got to love what Peter, how Peter responds in verse 11. Watch this. Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. In other words, Peter is having a hard time accepting what just happened. i got to tell you the truth. When my son was healed on Saturday, I came to church on Sunday, and the third service asked me to give a testimony. And i got to tell you the truth. I was standing up there talking about how God did what he did, but in the back of my mind, I was praying, oh God, I hope my son isn't throwing up this morning. You know, sometimes we're like that. God does something unbelievable, but we have a hard time believing it and accepting it. Matter of fact, Peter not only had a difficult time, but so did the people in the prayer meeting. Look what happens. In verses 12 and 14, when this had dawned on him, Peter, he went to the house of Mary and the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. Now, let's get, to, let's get this whole idea. They're praying. They hear a knock on the door. Little Rhoda gets up, walks over, notices and hears that, that that's Peter. She gets so excited, she goes berserk. She runs back into the prayer meeting and says, it's Peter, it's Peter. Look how they respond in verse 15. you got to love it. They said this, you're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they, they said, it must be his angel. <laughs> Check that out. You know, they're praying earnestly that God would deliver them. Why would the angel be trying to get in their prayer meeting? Wouldn't he be back at that jail trying to spring Peter from jail? But you know, as the people of God, when God does something supernatural, we want to write it off. We want to try to explain it away in some natural, natural way. We try to reason it, reason about it, try to think it through and start to say, no, that couldn't be. You'll never explain how God does something supernatural. It's supernatural. Those doctors can't figure out what happened to Jonathan. They couldn't even figure out what the disease was. 
When God doesn't, does something supernatural, you'll never understand it. You know, I'll tell you this. There is a story uh, that I tell often. I was preaching on this very subject to a, uh, to a youth group. A little girl came to me afterwards and said, Pastor Ed, are you sure that God answers prayer? I said, absolutely. The next week she came back to me with tears rolling down her cheeks. And she looked at me and she said, Pastor Ed, my brother walked off the bus last night in our neighborhood. There was a drive-by shooting. A bullet hit him in the stomach and killed him. Are you sure that prayer works? I said, absolutely. She came back the next week and she was weeping, bawling uncontrollably. I said, honey, what's wrong? She looked up at me with tears in her eyes and she said, Pastor Ed... My second brother was standing on the porch of our home and there's a drive-by shooting and our next-door neighbor was being riddled with bullets and one of them ricocheted off and hit my brother in the head and killed him. Are you sure that God answers prayer? Does he have the power to stop that? And I looked at her and I said, absolutely. She said, then I want to pray that that stops happening on my street. I said, if you're willing to get up every morning at 6 o'clock in the morning, my wife and I will get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and we'll pray that God will stop that. That was in 1998. And since 1998 till this day on Art Street on the north side of Pittsburgh, there's never been another shooting. There was 30 shootings in, uh, in July this past summer alone, but not one on Art Street. You know what I say to people after that, or what people say to me afterwards? They'll come up to me and they'll say, Pastor Ed, are you sure that's just not coincidence? You know what I say to them? All I know is when you stop praying, those coincidences stop happening. We serve a God who has the power to intervene in the situations and the circumstances that you so care about. He does have that power. Why he chooses when and who not to or who who to touch and who not, I don't know. And anybody tries to tell you that they know, they don't know what they're talking about. But I am telling you that that is who the God we serve. And he loves you when he doesn't answer. He loves my son if my son went to meet him now or then. And I I told God that. I said, God, I know that you love my son and I know that my son loves you. Let me say this to you about my son. He had an attitude through those 57 days that I no way at my age and in my depth with Jesus Christ I could have had the same attitude as he had. Miraculous. Unbelievable. And I knew that if my son died, he was going to go to be with Jesus. And he'd be better off than you and I. Because we're going from the land of the dying to the land of the living. He would have been already there with a brand new body. He'd be home where he's supposed to be eventually anyway. But I said, God, you either heal him there or now. But it's up to you. And he chose to heal my son. But my friends, as we as believers, he's healed every one of you and your loved ones already. You're guaranteed to be in the kingdom of God. He's already guaranteed it for you. He went to that cross. He was raised again from the dead so that you could know that great truth. Amen? Doesn't matter what happens here on the planet. That's what the truth is. And we need to look, like like Paul said, if I die, it's what? Gain. But if I live, I live for who? Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hear me when I say this. God will answer your prayer, my friends. But he answers in four ways. He says no or yes. But when he says yes, he answers quickly, later, or better. Let's look, first of all, at no. No is an answer. We might not like it, but it is the answer. It is an answer. But you remember, when God says no to you, remember this. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's facing the cross, and he prays to the Father. He says, Father, take this cup for me. And what does the Father say to him? No. 
He said no because he had your interest in mind. He knew what was best. If Jesus didn't go to the cross, we were lost. And when Jesus died, what did the Father do for him? He raised him from the dead, and he now sits at the right hand of the Father. And because he died, he raised again from the dead. You and I who know Christ, we shall be with Christ. When God says no to you, you need to understand that God does know what's best, and he has your best interests in mind, and you need to take him at his word and know that somehow, someway, God will take this and work it around for your good. Second thing is that when God says no, the other thing that he says, though, is yes. And when he says yes, we love it when he answers quickly. You know, after my son was healed, the bills didn't go away. And we had thousands of dollars of bills that my wife and I had no idea how we were going to pay for them. And we prayed. We prayed one whole week. At the end of that week, we got a letter in the mail, anonymous letter, for the, uh, the amount that we needed to pay off all our bills. When God answers your prayer quickly, you praise God for it. Amen and amen on that. We love it. But then he not only answers quickly, but he also answers later. There's a great illustration found in, in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 and 14, and it says this. Daniel's praying, and the angel comes to him and says this. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God. Your words were heard, and I had come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. What we need to understand is that God's delays are not God's denials. That if God is, if there's, if there's a delay there, if it's coming later, you, you, you need to keep praying and not give up. 21 days, there was a battle in the kingdom, in the heavenlies, and then finally the answer came. Sometimes your answer isn't coming because you're in a battle. Now, I remember John Guest used to say to us all the time, you can't see it, but it's right here. Just like you can't see the technological wires, that, the signals that are going through this room, but all you got to do is get a, a call on your phone or, or text message on your phone, and you know that they're here. Listen, we've been praying that God would heal our son, my son. You've been praying, and he did it. God is here. He's with you. And when you're in the battle, you need not to give up. You need to keep praying because God is doing things in the heavenly for you. Last thing is he not only prays later or answers later and quickly, but he also answers better. I love what Billy Graham's wife said once. She said this. She said, if God answered every prayer of mine, I would have married the wrong man seven times. <laughs> you know, sometimes God answers your prayer better than you're praying. I had three opportunities to marry three other women. Thank God I never married them. They were good ladies, but they weren't God's best for me. God gave me. I thank God that he didn't answer those prayers. That He gave me my wife, and my wife is awesome for me. And hopefully me for her. God will answer your prayers better, later or quickly. When he says yes, sometimes he says no. Hear me now. God has the power to change the situations and circumstances you're in. And this new year, my prayer for you is that you will go to prayer. You will trust him. You will pray earnestly. 
But what he asks you to do, you'll do it. And leave what he can only do for you in his hands. And when it gets done, that you'll bring glory and honor to his name, whether he says no, yes, or whatever. But let me say this to you. On behalf of the pastoral staff and myself and my family, we're proud of you. You are the body of Christ. Don't forget that. God is with you. And he's going to go before you and hem you in behind, my friends. Don't give up. You keep praying. God has the power to do it.